Well, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, turn with me to Romans chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 7 today as we conclude our series on the one another's. Uh, we'll look at the command to accept one another from Romans 15, 7. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to just be in your presence today with your people. Lord, just coming into this room and just pondering and reflecting on the great things that you've done. You're a truly great God. You never do anything great. You're great. But not only are, are you great, but there's just, there's just an eternal history of great things that you've done. We all benefit from it. You promise us a great future. And Lord, we just praise you for it. As we live in the presence, our, our hope is those great promises that you've made for us for tomorrow and for eternity. Lord, I pray that as we uh, are together today, that your spirit would come and that he would do work that only he can do of, of giving us eyes to see, of, of convicting us where we need conviction, encouraging us where we need encouragement, but, but giving us faith to, to really trust you in bolder ways than we ever have before. Help us to be a people that truly find joy in knowing you and following you. Lord, as we reflect on what it means to accept one another, I pray that we're a church that is welcoming to people, grounded on the fact that you have accepted and, and welcomed us into friendship with you. May we be that type of people. Finally, Lord, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, C.S. Lewis once wrote that friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. I think that's a great insight on friendship. As you think about maybe some of your closest friendships, maybe those connections have actually surprised you. Maybe there's that moment where you thought you were the only person that saw something a certain way or believed something a certain way or had that insight or liked something, and then you found that person that liked it or saw it the way that you did, and there was this connection that was formed. That's a great observation about how deep friendships start, is when you find those connections with people. However, there's also things that we can intentionally do to make those connections, right? I've heard for many years uh, my wife uh, tell young women that in order to have good friends, you need to be a good friend. And, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. The problem is, is that judgment and condemnation, they block those you two connections. Those moments where like, oh my goodness, you see it the way I see it. When we judge people and condemn people, then we're slow to accept them. And those end up blocking those connections that we can have. We can be quick to condemn and thus slow to live at peace with others, and block those developing friendships. When we don't live in harmony with one another, we don't develop Christ-centered friendships. We've been in this series looking at the one another's. We've kind of just tried to unpack these, these key one another's. And there's 59 of them in the New Testament. Of course, we can't look at all of them, and we can't look at them individually, so we've kind of tried to lump them within these four categories. But the goal of this series is to understand the link between the one another's and, and developing Christ-centered friendships. 
And the experiment, if you will, is that if we would live out the one another's, if we would believe these one another's, these commands that God gives us to the degree that we live them out, then those will develop these Christ-centered friendships. If we love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, it's going to lead to Christ-centered friendships. Now, if you haven't been with us the whole way through, we initially looked at uh, what does it mean to love one another? And following Jesus' example, we saw that to really love one another, at least the way Jesus did, it means that we are to sacrificially and tangibly love one another. Think Jesus washing his disciples' feet. However, uh, after that, we looked at serve one another. And we saw that a really a biblical understanding of serving one another, it has to start at the heart before it can go to the hands. And so uh, do we love people can, uh, at, at our heart first? And if we do, then that will lead to us tangibly serving with them. Last week, we looked at encourage one another. And the opposite of encouragement is discouragement, which is kind of like a, a wall breaking down. Or when we're discouraged, it's like we're just broken into pieces. So to encourage people is to help kind of put them back together or to help build them back up. Loving one another, serving one another, encouraging one another. All of those things lead to genuine friendships. In other words, if we believe God's word to the degree of faithfully following those commands, it's going to lead to friendships and friendships of the sort that are really life-giving and God-glorifying. Today we're going to close this series by looking at accepting one another and how accepting one another leads to Christ-centered friendships. So the first blanks on your bulletin, that first command is to accept one another. Follow along as I read Romans 15.7. Therefore, welcome, or depending on your translation, accept one another as Christ has welcomed or accepted you for the glory of God. The context of Romans 15 is that it's at the end of Romans. And if you know anything about Romans, Romans is all about this doctrine of justification by faith alone and God's grace alone in Christ alone. It's this glorious treatise on the doctrine of justification by faith. And what he's done through the, the book of Romans is Paul gives us the, the, the clearest, j- just sharpest logical argument and explanation for the doctrine of justification by faith. But consistent with uh, Paul's other epistles, Romans has this uh, kind of posture with it where at the beginning of the book and for the majority of the book, there's a sense of, of sitting and listening and learning this really profound theology. It's dealing with the, these theoretical understandings of things. They're, they're true things, but they're in that category of maybe theoretical. And so it's, it's about sitting and listening and understanding theology. But, but Paul always makes this turn in his epistles to where it shifts from sitting and listening to standing and walking, to, to not only just dealing with this doctrine theoretically, but then, okay, how do we live this out? How does this really apply to our life? Romans 15 is in that second category of, okay, now we are to apply this. Okay, we've unpacked and understood what does it mean that we're justified by faith alone. Well, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, one of the things that we're supposed to do with that is to accept or welcome one another. Romans 15, 7 teaches us to accept or welcome, depending on your translation, one another. And this term has the idea of, of taking into one's companionship, taking them into your home or taking them into your heart. So it's, it's bringing someone in or bringing someone close to you is what it means to accept one another. It could be bringing them into companionship or bringing them into friendship. It, it could be accepting them or bringing them into our home. 
our, our community, the um, way I think of it is bringing people into our space. Like when we accept somebody, we're, we're actually closer with them, even physically, not, not just relationally or emotionally, but you bring them into your space. It also means bringing them into your heart or bringing them into your affections or into your love. To accept someone means to bring them close to you. To accept someone means to open yourself up to them as a friend. To accept someone means that you see them and know them and love them for who they are and where they are. Now we have to be careful here. Of course this doesn't mean that we just kind of give a thumbs up to everyone's bad behavior in their life, right? Like that's not being a good friend if you see something that is sinful in a friend's life or something that's harmful in a friend's life and you don't say anything or you just give approval of that. Acceptance, of course, doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that we are open. We're opening our lives up to them as a friend and open them up to no matter where it leads. Like all of us are going to struggle with different sins. We're all going to struggle with different unhealthy things. And so to be a friend with any of us is going to have highs and lows. And to accept someone means that you step into the benefits and maybe also the difficulties of being friends with somebody. You just stay with them through the roller coaster of those things. To accept someone means that you don't expect perfection from them. None of us are perfect. Every friend that you make, if you're truly accepting someone, they're probably going to hurt you in some way. They're certainly going to let you down in some way. They're going to be imperfect in some way. But accepting somebody is accepting them as a person in spite of their imperfections. Jesus is, of course, the great model of this, right? Like Jesus modeled that type of acceptance. One of the best examples of this was Matthew, the tax collector. If you've seen the Chosen uh, series, they, they do some really interesting things with, with Matthew. But one of the things that they really highlight is, is that probably a lot of people did not like Matthew. <laughs> he's a tax collector, right? And he's working with the Romans. He's probably ripping people off. Their tax code was certainly oppressive at some level. So probably the other 11 disciples did not like Matthew, Okay. No one likes tax collectors. If we had a tax collector in here, you wouldn't like them either, right? They're tax collectors. Nobody liked Matthew, okay? And they had these valid arguments probably against him. But Jesus accepts him in. Jesus goes to his home. Jesus spends time and energy with Matthew's friends. <laughs> Maybe he didn't have a lot. But, but Jesus accepted him. He, he brought him into his merry little band of disciples, right? Jesus brought him in. He spent time with him. He accepted him. Certainly Jesus didn't accept and, and, or approve of a, you know, oppressive tax policy or, or cheating in some way. But he accepted Matthew and he brought him in. Romans 15.7 is about accepting others into our home and into our hearts. And he modeled this. He, he brought people into his space. If you think about all those 12 disciples, they were all imperfect in some way, right? Like they were, they all, you know, blew it in some way. And Jesus knew those things, but he still brought them in. He still loved them. He still accepted them. He still had him around. Um, I had a, an interesting experience a couple of weeks ago where with just a, a couple, of, with a group of high school students, I, I just posed the question of, okay, wh- what are the things that, kind of keep people your age from jumping into a church? Like, what are the barriers to church? And in some ways, I kind of expected maybe these, you know, ethical objections or scientific objections or something like that. But they kind of quickly went to people feeling judged at church or people not feeling welcome at church. 
And, and that was kind of where the conversation went. And so, you know, they, they had some really interesting insights on that. But the conversation got really good when I kind of flipped it around on them. Where I said, okay, well, if that's true, and I think you're right, that those are probably the biggest barriers to people coming into a church or into a youth group. How are you the solution to that? It's easy to sit on the sidelines and throw stones at oh, church, a bunch of hypocrites. Well, if you joined it, you would, you, know, you would add to that. They would probably be perfect until you got there. We're all hypocrites. Like, that's easy. Like, that's easy to sit on the sidelines and critique a church, okay? But how are you the solution? And that's where these kids got really mature and insightful. And it, it was really cool hearing them kind of throw out these tangible things that they do or that they could do to just help people feel accepted and welcomed into their church. One girl threw out, she said, you know, I, when I see somebody new at our youth group, I go up to her, I say hi, I tell them my name, I ask their name, I ask where they go to school, and we just, we just talk. And she said, I always try to ask another girl, could, could we go grab coffee sometime? And it was just this little pattern that she did, this little rhythm that she did of trying to help people feel welcome and accepted into her youth group. Listen, that's a barrier for all of us of being accepted or not. And there's these little things, these little practical things that we can do to help people feel accepted into our church. There's a lot of one another's that help us understand practically how to accept one another. Let me give you three of them. Romans 14, 13 says to stop passing judgment on one another. What he's getting at here is, you know, of course, again, we're going to have friends that do things that we think are sinful or unhealthy or wrong. We're to judge those things as unhealthy and wrong. And if we love them, we're going to step in and speak about those things. However, what he's getting at here, I think it's something more profound. He's saying that if you are determining in your mind or in your heart that someone is somehow untouchable or unworthy or unwelcome, that's the greatest barrier to accepting one another. I think this charge to not passing judgment on one another, and that's at the heart level. And that's the heart of someone who is not judging or not accepting or accepting. The second one is, is 1 Corinthians 12, 25. It says that we're to have the same or equal care or concern for everyone. It means that we're not supposed to say, okay, well, we love this person more than this person. We're going to have more concern for them and less concern for them. There's kind of a, a judginess that happens there and, and a lack of accepting. Okay, we'll accept this person, but we're not going to accept this person. So it's saying care and have equal care and concern for everyone. The, the third one is James 4.11, which says, do not speak evil or, or slander one another. This moves from kind of the condition of the heart to actually the words that we say. It's saying, listen, we can't accept people if we're speaking evil of them. To accept people means that we speak well of them. I mean, listen, I've struggled with this at times where I see something in someone's life and, and man, I, I can just say cutting remarks about someone. But that's not accepting someone if we're speaking ill of them or, or slandering them. Finally, this relationship between speaking well of someone and accepting them, it brings up the issue of being at peace with one another. The second charge here is to be at peace with one another. Mark 9.50 says this, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. This image of saltiness that Jesus is talking about, it's really about purity. 
So it's in a section of talking about, uh, about battling temptations and avoiding temptations. So, so he's advocating for purity here. So he's saying, listen, be pure, be like salt. Don't give in to uh, your fleshly desires. Don't give in to your temptations. Rather, be like salt. And, and he goes so far as to say here to have salt in yourself. So he's saying, be pure. And, and the way he then applies that, the way he makes this link between being pure, he then goes to be at peace with one another. So there's a link between purity in the Christian life and being at peace in our relationships. Being at peace in our relationship is connected to the fact, are we purely or faithfully following the Lord? The, the, the term means that we're not to be in conflict with others. P- peace is the opposite of war, right? Or the opposite of, of arguments. So to be at peace with someone is, is to be right with them, to be whole with them. And of course, that starts at the heart. It's, a, it's having a heart that is right with other people. But, but it's also uh, having the right relationship with them. In other words, the relationship is as it should be. Jesus, Jesus of course, is the great example of having peace with other people. Colossians 1.20 says that Jesus reconciled all things, making peace by the blood of the cross. Listen, why He came is, is to make peace in this cosmic uh, theological sense, and that has these practical relational realities. That if we're at that peace with God, then we can uh, experience the blessings of that relationship. And listen, that is how we're saved, but that also becomes a model for the fact that we're to live at peace with one another based upon our peace that we have with God. Now, it's difficult to accept each other because there's always going to be disagreements, right? When I was younger... I very naively thought that Christians don't have disagreements in church. Like, like we're all, we, you know, this is just this happy place where no one has disagreements, okay? You, you know, you understand that, right? That Christians can have disagreements, okay? I'm not blowing anyone's mind here, right? Like if you've gone through a church split or you've had some painful experience in the church, you know that Christians are people and Christians can have disagreements. Let me take this one step further to clarify this. Things in church, like maybe at your office, if they change the color of the carpet, who cares, right? But when you're in church and like you got saved in that room and it had red carpet and then they're going to blue carpet, all of a sudden there's this like this really sacred connection to the color of the carpet. Now it's not real, but it's in our minds, right? I mean, I've literally seen Christians argue over the color of a carpet, right? And, and there's, this, there's this sacredness that we can connect to certain things. Or we can put things in the wrong category and make things harder and heavier than what they really are. Or we can prioritize certain things above friendship. So disagreements can happen within the church. Christians can have even sharp disagreements. I have a weird experience as a, as a pastor. I've been a pastor for over 20 years now. Most of the people that I interact with are Christians. And, and many of them are like, other pastors, elders in church, like Christian leaders. And so the people that have hurt me the most, just, you know, this, this is just the math of it. The people that have hurt me the most are these like mature Christian people. And so that's been a, a thing that I've had to filter through that Christians can disagree with each other. Okay. So this charge to make peace with one another, this is for us. Like we have to fight for peace with each other. Let me maybe give you two more, which I think are very convicting, but, but helpful one another's on how to make this practical. First is Galatians 5.15, which says, 
But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Can that happen in the church? Brother, yes. That can happen in the church, right? We, we can bite and devour one another rather than accept and live at peace with one another. We can bite and devour one another to the degree that we can destroy one another, especially with our words. Friend, this is a great charge that we are to fight to live at peace with each other, especially with our words. Well, how do we do that? Two other passages. Ephesians 4.32 tells us to forgive each other. That's how we have peace with one another. If you have the expectation that your friendships here are going to be perfect, maybe another church that's the case, but that's not going to happen here. That's a joke that other churches screwed up like us, okay? You're not going to have perfect relationships here, which means you're going to have to forgive people here. If you're going to be in church with us, you're going to have to forgive people here. But there's another verse that kind of builds on this. Colossians 3.13 calls us to not just forgive one another, but to forgive, and what he says is, no matter the complaint. <laughs> so, so like if, if you come to somebody and lay out your case, I'm going to side with you, okay? Just so you, know, you don't turn on me. I'm going to side with you and say, you're right. I'll give you the moral high ground. And even if you are right, you still got to get to the place of forgiving them. No, no matter the complaint. Are you with me? No, no matter if you're right, I'll give it to you. They shouldn't have said that. They shouldn't have done that. But it still gets to the same place of you still just have to forgive them no matter the complaint. So friends, Christ-centered friendships are developed as we accept one another. As we openly bring people into friendship and bring people into our space and bring people into our hearts. And when we disagree with each other, which we will, there's then this fight that we have to make. We have to fight for peace with one another. With our, with our words and with our actions. And Jesus is the great example of this. He surrounded himself with very imperfect people. Even people that nobody liked, like the tax collector. And he forgave them and he walked with them and he brought them in. I'm just talking about good relationships. Listen, good friendships come through knowing how to maintain good relationships. This is just how to maintain good relationships and good friendships come with that in other words we're talking about living in harmony with one another your, your final blanks there are, are live in harmony with one another let me read romans twelve sixteen. live in harmony with one another do not be haughty but associate with the lowly never be wise in your own sight living in harmony is about having the same mind harmony is is like a dance where you're just kind of in sync with each other. Of course, this is a musical term where you have all these different musical notes that kind of simultaneously come together and they make this new, more glorious sound. That's what harmony is. Harmony is the, the ideal of friendship. Where you're just kind of walking with it, you're two different people, you're, you're, you're together in this thing. Harmony is, is this great glorious ideal of what friendships are supposed to be like. But, but Romans 12 makes a great contrast in this verse. There's a contrast between harmony and haughtiness. You see that? In other words, the, the thing that gets in the way of harmony is pride. When we have pride, when we look down on someone, or, or we think that we're better than someone in some way, like th that becomes, they become a poor dance partner, right? 
Like they're not good on stage if, if we've got a bunch of musicians that are kind of jockeying for a position and trying to be better than everybody else. But when they're in sync, that's when it's beautiful and that's when it works well together. So pride or haughtiness, that's the thing that, that kind of messes up the flow or the, the harmony of friendship. Once again, Jesus is the great example of humility and friendship. Like think of the incarnation. What, what, a, what a humble thing, Right? Philippians 2 talks about the incarnation and it says it first tells us to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. And then the passage goes on to describe humility in the life of Christ. It says in Philippians 2, 7, that he emptied himself. This is this incarnation moment where he comes down, he puts on human clothes, he empties himself in some form. And then it says that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Christ's humility led to harmony in our relationships. It's, it's the great glorious example of how humility leads to harmony. And, and it's a great guide for us. One of the things is I've thought about humility and, and living in harmony with people is, is, is that I've seen the role of, of that humbly listening plays with, with walking in harmony with people. Like there's been times where like, I'm not really listening, but I have something to say, or I'm talking too much in a conversation, right? I'm not really listening to them. And the heart of that is pride. And I'm just trying to make my point. I'm trying to maybe show how smart I am or the insight that I have. And, and that gets in the way of the harmony of the relationship. And I've seen that if, if I can listen more and speak less, that actually fosters harmony in the relationship. Humility leads to harmony. Um, there's a series of one another's that I think help us understand how to humbly live in harmony with each other, resulting in Christ-centered friendship. The first one is, is James 5, 9. It says, do not grumble against one another. Grumbling is a great word. Grumbling is this idea of expressing anger or irritation towards someone. This, this sermon is the most convicting for me in this series. Grumbling. And I, I can express irritation with my words. When, when we're complaining, it, it assumes that we're better than someone in some way, right? Like every time I'm complaining about someone, there's a heart that's going on behind that that, that, is, that is not humble, but it's, but it's haughty, right? When I'm irritable and grumbling and complaining, when I'm there, I'm not living in harmony with other people, right? I'm not, I'm not walking in, in harmony with people, and I'm certainly not developing Christ-centered friendships. Over the years, I've had friends give this kind of soft rebuke when I'm there. They say something like, isn't it nice that we never struggle and we have it all together? <laughs> you have friends do that with you? By God's grace, I have great friends who just kind of slip that in every now and then. That's just kind of this polite, humble, little way of saying, just slow down on the grumbling and the complaining. There's a haughtiness to that. You're not living in harmony with people. Second, I think, helpful, practical way of living in harmony with people is Galatians 5.26. It says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The heart of grumbling and a lack of harmony is pride or conceit, but that's connected to the sin of envying. You see, I don't know about you, but many of my struggles with not accepting or not welcoming people is at its very base level, jealousy. <laughs> Am I the only one up here? Like, like, listen, no matter what you do, there's going to be someone that you know that does that better. 
Okay, just words of wisdom here. Okay, I'll put this in a pastor context. Pastors are the worst at this. Okay, there's always there's always somebody that has a bigger church. There's always some pastor that preaches better than me. There's always some pastor that you know is nicer than me or a better leader than me. And, and I can get into this trap of jealousy. I I had a meeting this week with a pastor, just a friend of mine I dearly love. He is he's he has to be the most encouraging pastor I've ever been around. Like, like I walk out of every meeting and every lunch that I've had with this guy, and I'm so encouraged. And let me tell you what typically happens. I get into my car after the lunch, I start off the car, and I say, that brother's the most encouraging pastor I know. And then I go to, I'm not very encouraging. I want to be more like him, and I don't like him. You know what? I don't like how encouraged. There's something wrong with that guy. You know, it's, I just, it's just jealous, envious heart, okay? Every time I'm with him, I go through that roller coaster, and here's what it blocks. It blocks me actually, like, really appreciating and, like, praising God for him. Like, man, praise God that that church has such an encouraging pastor. Praise God that he's gifted me with a friend. And there's been times where I didn't even know I needed encouragement. And I go to lunch with this guy, and I walk away, and I didn't even know. It was just totally God's grace. The brother's just a gift, okay? And it blocks me from appreciating him and God's grace in his life. And it certainly blocks me from having a Christ-centered friendship with him. Well, the third place that is just uh, helpful on how to live in harmony with other people is uh, 1 James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other. And then Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another. So, bringing someone into your home or bringing someone into your heart, it leads you to this place where you can live humbly and transparently with them. You can confess your sins to them. You can submit to the wisdom that they give you. You can freely confess when you're wrong, and then you can seek that wisdom and take it to heart when they're trying to help you. So again, accepting people into your space or into your heart it were to do that to the degree that results in these life-giving Christian relationships where we can live genuinely and transparently with them. Friends, Christ-centered friendships are, are made through accepting one another, being at peace with one another, living in harmony with one another. These, these verses, they call us to accept one another, to, to bring people into our lives, to, to, to bring people into our homes, to bring people into our hearts, to, to, to kind of ride it out with all the ups and downs with them. Throughout this series, but especially um, on this final message, I've really reflected on some of the best friendships that I, that I have in my life. And I've thought of four friendships in, in particular, my four closest friendships. And I've just pondered, okay, what makes those relationships great? Like, what is it that, that really helps me have a, have a great friendship with these four people? And thematically, with all four of them, it really comes down to this fourth and final admonition to accept one another. Like these four people just accept me, starting with my wife. Kristen knows my flaws more than anyone. So if you see flaws, she knows it, okay? You don't have to tell her. She knows, okay? But she also knows my virtues better than anyone. But more importantly, she's for me like no one else. Early in our marriage, there was a, a pastor's wife that, that just pulled her aside, and she gave Kristen some great words of wisdom. She said, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to criticize your husband. And, and he doesn't need you to be his main critic, okay? Other people will do that. He needs you to be his main cheerleader. 
And that image really stuck with her. And, and that's what Kristen does. She is such a, an encourager to me. I mean, she's my greatest cheerleader, not my greatest critic. Now, I want to be fair here and, and to put you at ease. When there's something wrong, she speaks into it, okay? <laughs> you know, when, there, when she sees something, she loves me enough to speak into it. But, but she's not my main critic. She uh, has committed herself to being my, my main cheerleader, okay? And, and what that means is in our relationship is that she accepts me. The highs and the lows, the virtues and the vices, she's just with me in those things. It's, it's the greatest example of acceptance in my life. I have another friend, and he's accepted me in some special ways in the sense that he's allowed me to be imperfect. Like he's ridden the roller coaster, ridden the waves of my imperfections. Let me say it this way too. My struggles have negatively affected him. But, but he has continued to accept me and to be with me. In fact, there's been times where I've had a conversation with him and I've said something, and then I get away from the conversation, I, I just cringe at it. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I said it that way. And, I, and I've had the fear a number of times with this friend that like, okay, this is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Like, this is when, like, he just disappears from my life. Like, this is going to be it. But, but he never does. He just continues to accept me. He continues to accept me in spite of me, in spite of my imperfections. He's just there with me. It's one of the great life-giving friendships of my life. I have another friend who, uh, he's accepted me into his heart in ways uh, where he knows when I'm discouraged. And he always just encourages me. And it's usually with kind of like a, a thoughtful, soft comment. Like it's just, it, it comes sideways at me sometimes. But like he, he knows where I'm at, and maybe he knows that I'm down, and he just kind of comes in this sideways, soft way where he just encourages me. He gives me time when I need it. He keeps up with me. He prays for me. He's a great encourager in my life. It's a great way to accept people, just to be there with them. Give them the time that they need. Give them the encouragement they need, the prayers that they need. I have a fourth friend, and he's accepted me in ways where I always feel like I'm on his team. You have people like that? Where you're just with them, and they're with you. I've always just kind of felt that with him. So like when, like when people have hurt me, like he's, re he's ready to go for me. You know, <laughs> like we're, we're, we're in this together. You know, and, and there's times where um, he, he said things to me like, hey, if I were in your shoes going through that experience, I, I would feel the same thing that you feel. And then he'll say something like, you know, okay, how can, how can I help you in this? Like there's always a sense with him that I feel like that, that he's with me and that he's for me, even when it's hard to do so. Friends, the heart of this series is, uh, is to understand these one another's but to understand them so that they kind of serve as a guide to friendship. If, if we live these out, then, then I think it's going to take us to a place where we have great Christ-centered friendships. Maybe it's less about the sports team you like or the hobby that you both enjoy, but, but it's something deeper. It takes you to this greater place. We have to be willing to bring people into our hearts and into our homes to truly develop those type of, of friendships. So accepting hearts, accepting words, accepting actions, all of those are this glorious pathway to these deep, soul-filling, Christ-centered friendships. I want to close going back to this verse, Matthew 15, uh, 7, or I'm sorry, Romans 15, 7. I think this is a great place to end this entire series. 
where he says that therefore welcome or accept one another as Christ has welcomed and accepted you the glory of, for the glory of God. What a great place to end. Because see, in that is this clear charge, accept one another. That's the command. But he's very clear in that verse that God has accepted you. You see, there's a, there's a deep, eternal, beautiful ground to that command. When he says, go and accept one another, he has already accepted you. So he's the model. Like, and, and to be really abundantly clear, he's accepted you in harder ways than you're probably ever going to have to accept anybody else. But he's done it. He's modeled it for you. This is the way to move forward in our relationships. He's, he's done it. He's modeled it for us. But, but even further than being a, a vision or, or a model for acceptance, he's also the fuel for it. Like the gospel is not just Jesus is awesome. Go live like him. Accept one another. See you next week. There's something more beautiful even behind that. You see, he's telling you, go accept one another. Here's how you do it. And I'm going to help you do it. I'm going to be the fuel that empowers it. When you struggle with it, you can come to me and I'm going to help you. I've accepted you so that I can help you then accept other people. That is how God is glorified in our relationships. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it amazing that the purpose of Christ getting on that cross is to accept you as a friend? And then in turn, he flips it around and we're to accept other people in that same way. And then he helps us do it. Isn't that a marvelous relationship? I want you to think about all the ways that your friends have failed you. And then I want you to compare that with your friendship with Christ. He's never failed you in any of those ways, has he? What a marvelous friendship, isn't it? Isn't it a, a glorious friendship that we have with Christ? It, it, isn't it glorious to have a friend like Jesus? Are you with me? Like as we talk about friendship, Christ-centered friendships, there's clear commands, admonitions. All these one another's are commands. But behind it is a God who does it perfectly. But you're, you're never going to have the type of friend in this church, in this room, like the friendship you have with Christ. He's always going to fill in the gaps with that husband, with that wife, with that best friend, with that sister, with that brother, where they fail you, Christ never will. Even if they wanted to, they couldn't be a friend like Christ is. What a marvelous friendship we have with Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Do you remember the old hymn? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we did not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. We are... Uh, are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load to care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, for th forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. 
in his arms. He'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find solace there. Friends, as Jesus has accepted you, he now calls you to accept others, to accept them into your home and to accept them into your heart. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this this glorious command. Accept one another. I thank you for it because it's such a great pathway to friendship. We're created for relationships. And and if we would believe this command, we're going to find great Christ-centered friendships. So Lord, we thank you for your word and giving it to us. Lord, we thank you for even better news that you're a friend like no other. That you do accept us through the ups and downs. You know our struggles. You know us better than we know ourselves. And yet you're still there with us and for us. You are our greatest friend. And we praise you for it. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.